I feel like when I was younger, one of the things I really wished would happen is that I wished people would really listen to what I had to say and what I was thinking. And I did not feel like grownups did that very much. And I don't want to be that grown up. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to invite you to celebrate an anniversary with me. This week, four years ago, 2016, I launched Tilt Parenting and released my very first podcast. A conversation with parent coach Margaret Webb on finding peace in parenting the child you didn't expect when you're expecting. I had about a dozen, I think, people on my email list and on the Facebook page. I think half of them were related to me. I had a manifesto, a creed, I had built a website, and more than anything, I had a mission to launch a revolution for parents like me raising differently wired kids. Well, since that time, in four short years, Tilda's grown more than I ever could have imagined. I've published a book for parents on how to raise atypical kids with confidence and hope. Our message of changing this parenting paradigm has spread far and wide around the world through articles and interviews and conferences and summits and speeches. And you all have found each other and created a genuine community of support and camaraderie. And together, we have fundamentally changed the way our kids are seen by popularizing the term differently wired and reinforcing the idea that difference does not equal deficit. I don't know about you, but I can feel the momentum our movement is gathering. And I know it's because we are finding each other and we're speaking our truth and we're compassionately educating friends and family and teachers and the world about who our kids are and what they have to contribute. So I just needed to take a moment to share that with you. I am grateful every single day that I get to do this work. And it's because of you that I continue to feel motivated and inspired to keep going. So thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of this. And now I'll get on to today's show. My guest has been called the undisputed queen of kindy rock. And I admit to having a bit of a fangirl moment here as her music was a big part of our family soundtrack for many years. So I'm so excited to bring on the show singer and songwriter Lori Berkner. With an average of more than 10 million monthly streams and millions of CDs and DVDs sold, Lori's songs have become beloved classics for kids around the world. She's become a fixture on kids' TV, she's authored children's picture books, and she has written the music and lyrics for three children's musicals. But I wanted to bring Lori on the podcast because she is incredibly intentional about connecting with and making room for differently wired and differently abled kids through her work. I love connecting my audience with creators who are truly committed to the ideals of inclusivity, and Lori is definitely deserving of our support. So in our conversation, I talk with Lori about writing music that connects with all kids, why her music so powerfully resonates with differently wired children, her mission of inclusivity, and much more. And now here is my conversation with Lori. Hello, Lori. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, so good to be here. Happy to have you on the show. I was really excited to do this conversation and I will just have to fess up that I have a 15 year old and even he was impressed that I was going to have you on the show. So I've kind of hit the big time, I think, having you on. (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) Well, so I actually would love for, I'm sure that listeners are familiar with your music, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story. I was thinking about this. If you were a superhero, which I think you are to so many kids, you would have an origin story. So can you tell us how you got into doing this work that you've been doing for so many years now? Sure. Um, Yeah. When I first graduated from college, I was performing and singing um, my own original songs in like cafes around New York City. And I ended up getting a job as a preschool music teacher. And um, I wasn't sure what I was doing at all. And um, I ended up deciding that the, so the way I was writing music for my sort of evening performances, I thought, well, I could try and do that with the kids since I don't know what to sing with them. Like they're essentially stumping me. <laughs> I would come in having like gone to the library and listened to a lot of music and thinking, oh, these will be fun songs. And they would just say, oh, that's boring. That's a baby song. They didn't pay any attention to me. And so finally, I just started saying, well, what do you guys want to sing about? And actually, one of the very first songs I wrote was We Are the Dinosaurs, because some kids said dinosaurs, and all the rest of the kids said, yeah. And I said, great, stand up. And let's be dinosaurs. We're marching. (laughs) And I just started playing a minor chord and kind of took it from there when they, that song in particular is a a song that I felt like I really like learned from them. They march around, everybody got a little crazy. So I said, stop and eat some food on the ground. And that's what they did. And I started to write more songs by just asking the kids what they wanted. Um, I got, I also got direction from my prior, my predecessor in that job who basically said, you know, don't talk to the kids, say it through the music. And so that was hugely helpful. And then I kind of took what I had written there. It seemed to work and it grew when, after I recorded the music um, and then found myself trying to sell it and, see if other people besides my, the kids who were um, in my classes actually wanted to hear it, which turned out to be the case. That actually happened a lot through just playing it at birthday parties, being asked by my parents, the parents of my students to come and sing at their birthday parties. Oh, and you recorded that, those songs that you're doing in the class that they all come home singing. Can you give me 10 of your cassette tapes? I'll put them in goodie bags and give them out. And then I would get a call from a kid from another school who was at that party. And can you come do my kid's birthday party? Because we're listening to this tape all the time. And um, it was very organic in that way in the beginning. I love that we're talking about cassette tapes, too. Like, this is a while ago, right? <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> I'm just wondering, and and I'm just, forgive the reference, but I'm also we just finished streaming all of Parks and Rec. I don't know if you've seen that show. Oh, I'm still making my way through The Office. So oh, okay, get- yeah, <laughs> Parks and Rec is what you do after The Office. That's what we did. But there is a character on there who has a similar journey with regards to the birthday parties and starting music that way. And I just wonder. 
I mean, obviously, you couldn't have anticipated what would happen. You know, how, how long ago was that? And tell us what have been some of the highlights over the years, because you've been, you know, you've had a show, been on Nickelodeon, you write children's books, like you've just become this huge voice and brand in this space. And I'm just curious about what that has been like for you. Um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's so funny, because some of in some ways, some of the things that I did felt a little bit overnighty, um, you know, that sort of the cliche of the overnight success. And yet, I don't think any of them would have happened if I hadn't been working with kids and listening to them and spending time with them, making up songs and thinking about them for years before the thing happened overnight. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was, it's been just a long process and a long journey. Um, So that was the first question you asked was when that was. So um, a year out of college for me, was I'm trying to just put the numbers together in my mind. You don't have to divulge too much if you don't want. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, it was well, I graduated in '91, so you know, t- almost 30 years ago. Right. And um, but I and I started writing probably in that first year or two, I think, of being a preschool music teacher, and then I didn't actually record any of the songs until 1997. So my first, that, that cassette tape I was talking about is the album. What do you think of that? The first song is we are the dinosaurs. And, um, that album came out in 1997 and came out meant that I went to a recording studio of a friend of a friend who lived in Hoboken and had a space in his a little brownstone type apartment or part of one. And we recorded it over a weekend on, I don't know this for anyone who's listening, who is actually like thinking about how recordings used to be done. It was on reel to reel tape, one inch wide, not on a computer or pro tools or anything like that. Um, and, you know, it was basically like I sat down in front of a mic and held my guitar and played the songs. And then I asked some friends to come in and, put some piano on that was Susie Lampert who ended up who's in the band still and um actually I had Adam Bernstein play the bass on there um, mostly stand-up bass I think and he ended up being a bass player in the band for a while um and also my husband Brian Mueller played some I think he played some electric guitar on it and um I think the engineer played a little piano and we did some like I don't know, hand drums. And I mean, it was very, (laughs) very low budget, um, very old school. Yeah, I was just wondering, even from that point, from the those origins in a in a little apartment in Hoboken to what you've created in in the years, I'm just wondering, I mean, I'm assuming so much of that must have just been so unexpected and being able to, to create and share your work in so many different mediums. What have been some of the highlights for you? Or what's your favorite part of that? Yeah, well, I mean, my favorite part of being able to do all this is, it's not even like the things that happened. I think it's actually the meet and greets after my concerts. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I, like I, I know that there will be kids who come that the music has been a huge part of their lives and I get to actually interact with them and um, meet them. So I feel like that is actually really what's super fun for me 
as well as the actual recording process. I actually really love that. Um, but as far as things that happened over time, I mean, some of the early stuff that was really exciting was like getting on the Today Show the first time. That someone who was a parent in Manhattan, I had done a birthday party, and the uh, this mom was a line producer at the Today Show, and she had gotten Buzz Buzz as a gift in a goodie bag um, for her kid at a birthday party, and her son had become really into the music and she started kind of like looking into what I was doing and pitched me to the, the executive producer of the Today Show at the time. So they like put me in the plaza and we did a performance mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, to people like screaming and holding up signs and stuff and getting there at whatever four in the morning to set up and having some guy look at me and go, okay, I'm going to count down. And then we're going live, you know, to like, the world or whatever the <laughs> like to be, you know he was like five four three two one and then okay I'm singing buzz buzz and we are the dinosaur I mean it was just like wow. it felt insane and I thought I I'm I'm a music teacher <laughs> <laughs> but but that's not totally true I actually knew that I really loved performing I've always I mean I wanted to be on Broadway when I was a kid I always imagined that I would somehow get to perform music. I just didn't think it would be for this particular age group. So it definitely, it was exciting to be able to do that and also look out and see like, everybody's having fun. So anyways, that's so great. It's a great story. And I I was been poking around your website and just reading what other people have have said about you. And you you have a quote on the homepage of your site, which I loved, which is Lori Berkner does what Fred Rogers did, respect, validate and reassure young children. And even in you sharing your story, you talked about how you were almost creating this music in collaboration with kids that you were listening to them. um, You weren't telling them what it should be. And so I'm just wondering, where does that lens come from? Is that kind of how you inherently connected with children or how did you know to do that? I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't really know. I mean, I do feel very aware that when I think about my own inner child, you know, I guess I imagine that most people have sort of an age that looks like a spirit age, kind of like where they connect the most and maybe what they think about a lot. And I think mine is four years old. (laughs) And I'm not really sure what it is about that time. But I feel like when I'm around kids that age or in the vicinity of that age, I just, I'm so, I don't know, I just feel like there's like something very magical about that time. And I feel like I learned so much from them. So, and I, I don't know exactly why, But maybe it's also that I feel like when I was younger, one of the things I really wished would happen is that I wished people would really listen to what I had to say and what I was thinking. And I did not feel like grownups did that very much. And I don't want to be that grown up. Like I want to, I want to listen to what they have to say. I feel like it's it's totally selfish for a lot of reasons. One is that I feel like I get so much, but I also don't ever want to be the person who makes a kid feel like that. I'm sure I have without meaning to, 
but I don't want to consciously ever do that. So maybe I'm just trying to make up for how I felt when I was a kid. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. And now back to the show. Then let's pivot a little bit or maybe even expand upon this because, you know, I know that you are connected with, you know, with my community with kids who are differently wired. I have a friend who years ago had written a blog post. She has an autistic son, and you were really her son's hero. And taking him to one of your concerts and getting to meet you afterwards was one of the highlights of his life. And I know that you do have a strong connection with this community. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Like, where does that come from? And, and what is it about connecting with differently wired kids that is so important to you? Well, it's, that's another thing that's sort of like a circle to me. Um, so before I ever did kids music, it's funny, I actually worked with autistic adults. Not that I was trained or taught to do anything. It was just, it was a job that I, I don't even know how I got it, but I used to work 
at a place called Amic in Manhattan, like the year after I was, I graduated from college, right before I started doing preschool music. And, um, there was something that drew me to, I just, I saw an ad for it and I applied for the job and I got it. And I used to bring my guitar in and sing. And there was something that really drew me to wanting to work with adults with autism. And, um, I found myself like sometimes writing songs about them and just also having that same sense of it's, it's not just magic. It's like wondering how does this person I am sitting with see what is going on or experience what is going on differently from me. And I think there was just something so like magnetic about that for me for some reason. So anyway, I, I just remember I did that and then I, I never really, I didn't think about it so much. I kind of moved on to doing the preschool music. And then I started noticing that kids of all kinds of different abilities, but actually, actually very prominently kids on the autism spectrum were responding to my music in ways that I did not expect or understand, frankly. Like, I'm not sure that I understand why why anyone necessarily connects to my music. Um, I, I don't that I don't mean that to sound, I don't know what that sounds like, but I mean that very honestly. Like I do, when I write, I have written all these songs, I will record them. And I actually remember thinking like, this isn't even a song, like songs that have become some of my biggest hits. Like I remember thinking we are the dinosaurs. I was like, is this a dumb song? Like, I don't even know what this song is, but it, I love singing it with the kids. And then people were like, this is the best song my kids love. Like, I don't know why they do, but I notice when they, when kids respond to something and I feel like, oh, this is, this is the kind of thing that I feel like maybe I would have liked when I was younger or I see a kid responding to. And so I just keep going with it. Like I have this song, I have pig on her head, which is just, I just wrote it because this kid wouldn't start music class with me and by would not take this animal off of his head. And I was like, I can sit here and fight with him or I can just start singing about this and then we'll have class. So I started singing about him having the pig on his head and all the kids ran and got animals and put them on their head. And I was like, okay, we definitely have a song. So, you know, it just kept going with it. And I remember trying to record that song and I was like, this is, a, I don't even know if I should put this on. It was on the, I can't remember what album it's on my second album. It's like, I don't even know if this is a song, but I'm just going to put it on here. And it grew. And it, when I do it in concert, we like touch our noses and touch our toes to our nose. And I mean, it's like, it just became a much bigger thing because of the interaction with kids. And I feel like there's something that happens when kids of, all differently, all wired kids, like all differently wired, wired that we say is not different, whatever, but, but particularly actually, like you're saying, differently wired kids do, there is this strong connection that doesn't go away. It's like they, they, I, I so wish I understood it. I cannot tell you like years. I feel like I've been trying to figure it out. What am I doing? What makes these songs so appealing and comforting and like attractive to especially kids who think differently than we expect them to, you know? So I feel like I'm just talking, 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 cause I don't know. 
and I find it so amazing and wonderful at the same time. It really is. I mean, first of all, I just have to say that the song, is it called Pig on Your on Her Head? Is that the, on her. Yeah, that like that was one of my all time favorites back when we were consuming your music. So I, I don't know what it is about it either. But it's it's awesome. Um, but you know, as you're talking about this, I, I love that y- what you're creating, you know, you're not consciously saying, okay, I'm I'm gonna write this with, you know, and trying to force something you are creating what you create. And it seems like you're having a conversation with kids. And and I think it is that honesty that you bring to your work and that respect that you have for all children. And I think so many differently wired kids don't necessarily feel respected in so many environments. They feel separated. They feel um, like outliers and just really not seen. And I think there's something about the way that you communicate and you know, your charisma and the way that you show up and your energy that you show up, uh, especially in a live event, but it comes through in videos too, that just feels like you're really seeing who these kids are. That was so nice. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just, I'll I'll tell you that I just felt very seen in that moment. I like starting to cry because the first thing you said was, It's like you're having a conversation with them. And I don't know that I have ever heard anybody put it quite that way. And that felt like, oh, yes, that is what it feels like. It's like it's like we can we're talking to each other. And even though that sounds so weird to say because I'm recording myself and someone goes and listens to it by themselves or or in a group or however, but I'm not actually there. But somehow it does feel like that. And I think that's part of what I love about the live shows too, is like, I feel like I'm having this experience with the kids who are there, you know, and I mean, with everybody, but particularly just like this, it's a real exchange of energy between human beings. And, and that idea of a conversation that just like really, hit the nail on the head for me. That's like a, a, a beautiful way to put it. And and I appreciate you hearing that in what I do. Well, let's, you know, I actually want to hear about your live shows too, because I know that you also do shows that are really designed to support kids who might have sensory issues. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you prepare families to come to your events? Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things where everyone is different, right? And I feel like there are different ways in which the shows can be difficult or exciting, you know, for the same kids, for different kids. But one of the things I have been lucky enough to partner with places that have done, like some places call them sensory friendly shows, sometimes relaxed concerts at McCarter Theater in Princeton, that's what they call them there. And so doing shows like that, we can actually get a lot of support from the venue at the show itself where there are people in the lobby offering um, toys for kids who want to have something to sort of be stimulated by stim toys and a quiet place for them to be, or a place for them in the lobby to run around that when they're at the show, everyone can move freely, can make as much sound as they want, can stand up at at their seat. Um, The lights are not as dim. We don't use a lot of strobe lights. I usually do them solo 
we keep the sound level at a volume that feels like it's not gonna be too much for anyone, hopefully. And, um, and before they come to the shows, if anyone who wants a set list, I often don't have them ready until a few days before the show. But um, if they're requested, we'll send them out. We have a place on our website for people to go and take a look and find out information about the shows themselves so that they can prepare their kids since a lot of kids feel just calmer and happier knowing what's coming. Um, so all of those things um, we try to do to make sure that, you know, anyone who comes to a show can have fun. And I, I want to say that I know a lot of kids are happier at a more sensory friendly show, but there are also so many kids who just come to the regular shows and it's great, <laughs> you know, because I'm not asking kids to stay in their seat <laughs> and I'm not asking them to not make noise and not move around and not just like be whoever they are out there. Like that's exactly what I want them to do. So I know it can sometimes feel harder because of worry about other family, other families or other people, but everyone's kind of doing their own thing. So a lot of times I think there's a lot of crossover in both shows. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.
And now back to the show. Yeah, and you have a what to expect page for your concerts. I love that you make the set list available. I mean, we've had a lot of crashes and burns at live events that I thought were going to be awesome. And they turned out to not be because um, expectations weren't met, or we just didn't prepare properly. So even for your regular concerts, you give parents a sense of what exactly they can expect so they can prepare their kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay, I want to pivot to what you're working on right now. And um, I know that you especially as we're recording this, we're we're pretty early in the the coronavirus days. So um, hopefully, by the time I release this, things are going to be in a different space. But you have a fantastic YouTube channel, which I know so many families are unexpectedly homeschooling right now. Can you tell us about you know, what kind of online resources and tell us what what people could find on that channel? Well, I mean, a a lot of what I've done in in the past is just making music videos. Um, There are also some more relaxed, we call them Fantastic Friday videos, um, where I'm just singing things live. Um, But on there, there are playlists that put together songs that have more of an educational component songs that are more movement oriented songs that are bedtime rituals songs that are lullabies but there are there are a lot of different kinds of playlists you can find a lot of different songs i definitely have a pretty large catalog and i feel like all of the stuff that's on there right now is probably mostly that it's it's music videos and kind of in that format so you, you were talking about the videos on YouTube, and I did want to draw our listeners' attention to one video that I think came out maybe two years ago. Uh, this song is called This Is How I Do It. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think it will be of special interest to this community. Oh, yeah. So that song is basically just a song about how to, you know, encouraging kids to move in different ways and do different things and do it in their own way. And um, when we filmed it we always make a point of trying to have you know diverse group of kids uh, on every level of diversity but um we wanted to make sure that we saw we're showing that kids who watched it could see kids that they could identify with on any level so we have a girl in a wheelchair there are definitely a lot of kids on the autism spectrum in that video and we tried to leave in moments where like they were moving in ways that, that may be sort of more identifiable as someone who is autistic and that I could be able to like move like them. I wanted to be like the kids. I wanted to respond to them and I wanted to share just any way that any kid could be. And we wanted to sort of make a bigger point about that in that video. So that was part of the idea behind it. Um, it wasn't necessarily when I wrote the song, but I also got, again, a lot of feedback from people in across all different kinds of communities of like, this is just how well received that song was. And I think kids have that feeling of, this is me of being, you know, empowered to just do things the way that they do them. And that that is what is beautiful, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. And I, I really do think that that age, I talk about this sometimes in my show, this is that I I feel like preschoolers are, it's such a wonderful age to just expose them to difference and to normalize it. So 
it doesn't seem like it's something unusual, but it's just a different way of moving or of being in the world because preschoolers are so accepting when they understand things, right? They notice things, but they don't necessarily think something's good or bad. They're just curious. And that's one of the things I loved about that is just normalizing difference and embracing difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, thank you. I'm glad that that came across that way. So can you tell us before we say goodbye, what is the latest for you? Is there something that listeners should be keeping an eye out for? Or maybe what's next? What are you working on? Well, in the immediate future, I'm actually going to start doing, it looks like Facebook lives every day, just a little shorty, uh, maybe half an hour. Because as you said, we are at the beginning of the coronavirus being part of our everyday lives. So we're doing a lot on social media right now with that. But on bigger levels, um, I also put out an audio series through Audible called Lori Berkner's Song and Story Kitchen um, a little while back. And I am hoping, hoping that I'll be getting another one of those out. And I'm also, I had a new album came out in October called Waiting for the Elevator. And I am close to being done with another one that if, if I can still keep getting into the recording studio at some point, <laughs> we'll also um, we'll come out in the not too distant future. So those are some of the things on my plate. Well, listeners, as I always do, I'll have a show notes page for this episode, and I will include links to all the projects that Lori just shared with us and her YouTube channel. So you can check that out. And I will just personally be um, checking out your Facebook lives. And I'll share that with my community as well. Because we got a lot of parents with deer and headlights right now who are looking for great content to entertain and support their kids right now. So thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's going to be fun. I'll be having conversations. Yeah, exactly. I just want to say thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure to learn more about you and your story and to share your work with this community. And yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you do. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.